0: Good morning. Morning. How's everyone doing on this Labor Day weekend? I assume everybody's celebrating the big game from the weekend, you know, the big rivalry, schools close to each other. IU barely pulled it up, but we still beat Illinois, right? Good, okay. No, come on. (laughs) Uh, No, but for real, congratulations to the Ohio State fans, condolences to the Cincinnati fans. Uh, Speaking of football, I saw something that uh, a bunch of committees were kind of checking out things in Toledo, because it's a pretty major football town and a market, and they were considering putting a pro football team there. But then they're like, nah, we'd better not, because then Cleveland will want one. There we go. Okay. There we go. Wow. I'm going to write that one down and use it again. Okay. So, uh, Sean mentioned that, that this is Labor Day weekend, and so it's going to be chill, and so as I'm thinking about a message, we don't have a series going on. What could be more chill, more more calm, more, more just easy and peaceful than Revelation? And so that's what I'm going to talk about today. So uh, I, I want to talk first before I get into the scripture. We see Revelation as kind of this scary, apocalyptic thing. And part of that is sometimes it's taught that way and we'll see it and we'll hear it and we'll have videos. And there's good teaching, but sometimes... We focus so much on the fear and it's like, what if this happens tomorrow? What, if, what is this gonna look like? Like, am I gonna survive? Is it gonna happen? And it's so much unknown. And it's so different than everything else in the Bible because there's description and there's all of this crazy stuff and all of this imagery, but it's such an amazing book. And it's actually my favorite book in the Bible and I've read it and I've taught it and I've studied it and I've got all of these things and it's designed so brilliantly in one way to show that it happened literally any time from the time of the disciples on to any time. And that's so cool and so amazing. And, and while it is like, man, but we don't know. We don't know. It also shows that God has a perfect plan that stretched from before creation to the end. And it shows us he gives us a glimpse of that in Revelation. And that's why I wanted to go to it. And I wanted to go to a specific part, one that we probably hear about a lot. And this is uh, Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. And some of you thought I was joking that I was going to do Revelation, but I am. Uh, Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. Uh, He exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making a uh, fire flashed down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to the world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast, who was fatally wounded, and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. So I start with saying Revelation is not scary, and then I read that. So I get it, but I promise that I'm going to, to make this seem... Uh, better, and seem hopeful, because that's what it really is. It's so amazing, and you're going to love it like me at the end of this, hopefully. If not, you got me like six of the next seven weeks, so just pretend. (laughs) In this section, it talks about the beast, and and the second beast, most likely it is talking about a false prophet and the Antichrist. And everybody here has probably heard the term Antichrist, uh, and it's something that we talk about. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But basically, there's going to be a false prophet and an antichrist at one point. And they're scary words, but they're also words. And what it means is there's going to be someone who essentially says he's God's son, who says he's the Messiah. And then there's going to be a false prophet that comes along and kind of promotes things to make it look like that. And so people are going to start to think that, and people are going to start to follow him, and people are going to start to wonder about it. And, and we're like, okay, that's, I get that. But how does he have two horns? Well, one of the things to remember in Revelation, and I know that everybody here is going to run home and read all of it after this. One of the things to remember is John was a disciple, and he was the disciple Jesus loved, and he he wrote such amazing, beautiful, loving scripture. He was essentially taken out of time, from his time with no plumbing and no electricity and no college football and no anything, all the way to whenever this happens. And so anything that we take for granted, he's going to see amazingly. Imagine, imagine if one of the disciples, John specifically, saw like an airplane in the sky. Or saw someone with Bluetooth earsets, headpieces, whatever it's called. Or, or, or something. Like there's so many things that could be horns. It could also be symbolic. It could mean authority in religion and in politics. It could mean all kinds of things. But that's the first thing about Revelation is John is just doing his best to describe things that he has no idea what he's seeing. But he trusts Jesus. And his focus is on Jesus. And his focus is on the victory. And his focus is on love. And his focus is on hope. And so he's trying. And he's a man out of time. And he's putting it all into words. And we see that the world is led to worship this. And I think we're like, well, how could they do that? Like how can, how can Christians or, or, or how can Jewish people or how can whoever turn from God? A long time ago. Uh, right after uh, God sent Moses and Aaron, we talked about that, to do 10 plagues and lead Israel out of slavery uh, and then lead them into the desert. And he's done all these miracles. He parted the Red Sea. He brought manna from heaven. And then like five minutes pass, and they start worshiping a golden calf. So often throughout history, people who know better on their own join with other people and start to look at the wrong stuff and they start to worship the wrong people and they start to worship people instead of God. And it's because we want answers and we want somebody to tell us what we wanna hear. And we want someone to to just give us peace. And so with this, and I'm gonna say the rapture a little bit. So there are different theories on the rapture. I'm just going to tell you mine rather than go through all of these. Uh, Basically what we've seen probably in in movies and in, in videos and whatever you've talked about, is kind of like if the rapture happened right now. Hopefully, none of us would know this was happening because we'd all be gone. But but there'd just be like clothes sitting in your seat. That's what we see. But I don't think it's going to happen that way. I think that people are just like Christians are just going to die, and so your body will still be there. Your spirit will go on to heaven. But regardless of which way, imagine if you're not a Christian and you you haven't followed Jesus, and, and all of a sudden what? 3 million, 10 million, whatever, Christians in the entire world just disappear or die. Like, that's going to be a panic. And we've had lots of panics lately. We've had lots of things. We've had lots of trouble. And so in that moment, it's going to be so easy for someone to stand up and say, hey, hey, everything is chaos. Look to me. And so that's where all of that makes sense. And that's where all of that kind of shows that that, that this is showing just kind of how the world always is. Because humans are always eager for something like that, for that, that answer. And, and as far as the miracles, the, the magician stuff, uh, that happened against Moses too. Like the Egyptian uh, magicians were able to do some stuff. They couldn't do it as much as God though. And that's the thing. It's always going to be limited. It's always going to be smaller. It's never going to be as good. And so where is God in this? The answer is he's everywhere in this. And you know because God would never go against himself. What happened when he said Jesus? Jesus came and loved everyone constantly and taught everyone constantly and helped everyone constantly and poured his life out constantly. Jesus never would have said, hey, worship me or die. Hey, worship this statue of God or die. He never would have said it. And so if you're truly looking, if you're truly focusing, if you're truly hoping to follow God, you're going to see him because his love never changes. His plan never changes. His hope for your life never changes. And so we just keep looking to him and we see things like this. And we know, okay, this is scary, but God will never take away my free will. Like God always gives us a choice. God always helps us to see what's right. And so to go with that, I have a quote from C.S. Lewis. And when I get to the point where I'm starting to quote his preferences on toothbrushes, you'll know that I've gotten too far with C.S. Lewis, but right now we're not there. Thank you, two people. The great thing is to be found at one's post as a child of God, living each day as though it were our last, but planning as though the world might last a hundred years. As I said, part of why revelation is scary is the unknown. Part of it is that it's an end. And even if you're a Christian, and even if you know you're going to heaven, it's still scary to think about that. And it's still hard to think about that. And also, there's all of this human doubt that we have, all of us, naturally. Like, what if, what if it happens while I'm here? What if I'm not ready? What if I, I don't have discernment? What if I don't have wisdom? What if I don't know what's happening? What if, what if, what if? This gives you the answer. Because it says, if you are a child of God, and you just live each day as if it's your last. Which means you love everyone as if you're never going to see them again. And you help everyone as if you're never going to see them again. And you show Jesus to everyone. And you do your absolute best every single day. You're good. You're good. And that's such an assurance and such hope. Because it shows that, that he's got us. And it would be so easy or so wanted if we knew when it was going to happen, if we just knew or had an idea of the date. Like, when's it going to end, God? When is this going to happen? But man, how badly would we mess that up? How badly would we mess that up? We'd be like, ah, you know, it's 2025. I don't have, that's not the answer. I'm just picking a normal date. Don't be scared. Don't run. 2025, like let's just say June 25th, 2025. Completely random date that just came to me right then. And we know that. Most people, not everyone, but most people are going to wait until about 1159 on June 24th to start acting like Jesus. Now, again, not everyone, but a lot of people would. And so he knows that we're like that and he sees what we need and what we have. And he's like, guys, I'm not going to tell you what it is. And in fact, I'm going to make it look like it could happen anytime because it could happen anytime. But I'm with you all of the time. And all you have to do is show that every day. All you have to do is live that every day on helping you. And that's so awesome to me that God did that for us. It's so awesome to me that if we just show people the path to heaven every day, we're going there. That's such a cool victory. Such an amazing thing. I want to go to the next part. And this is a part we've heard about a lot, probably. Uh, Verse 16. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. We probably all heard that number. I think probably we don't know where it comes from I think, you know, we know seven is a holy number, and so it's like it's one short of seven. But as I was researching this over time, there's this really cool thing. And I promise it's cool. Uh, in ancient time, Greek and Hebrew letters were given numerical values. And so each of the names added up to a numerical value. Here's where it's awesome. Awesome, I promise. Jesus' name adds up to 888. Now you're thinking, but that's not 777, that's not 7. What is 8? It's an infinity. It's an infinity, three infinities. Jesus' name is infinity. How awesome is that? And so what is a 6? A 6 is, yes, less than 7, but it's also a broken infinity. So it's like, hey, Jesus has this. There is no question who our king is. There is no question who's going to win because Jesus is infinity, he's forever. And it's like, well, where where else could the numbers, who is the Antichrist, what is this going to happen? Uh, There are different theories. I'm just going to give you a couple. The Roman, like the main Roman numerals, uh, I, V, X, L, C, and D. You can tell, Amy, that I said those. If you add the values to each of those up, it comes to 666 because a lot of theories are going to involve Rome, and Rome's pretty... Important throughout Jesus' time, too. Uh, Another one is if you take the numbers 1 through 36, and you add each number to each number and keep going, it also adds up to that, I think, I haven't checked it, but I'm sure that that's right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Math jokes don't work, that's fine. Uh, Or it could be somebody's name that adds up to that, or whatever. It's, It's the thing that we do that's messed up is what we do is when we hear Antichrist, when we see 666, we just apply it to somebody we don't like. To a political leader or a religious leader or a celebrity or something, it's like, that is gonna be Antichrist. No, it isn't. Because it's not just gonna be somebody we don't like, it's not just gonna be whoever's there politically, it's not just gonna be anything of that. It's gonna be somebody who fills some of the prophecies. Probably somebody from Rome or from the Middle East, somewhere over there. Probably somebody, honestly, We put evil on it because it becomes evil. Probably somebody who starts out with the best of intentions. Probably somebody who thinks they're doing what's right and bringing the world together and then slowly gets corrupted over time and then boom. Somebody like King Solomon who started out so wise. And so it's not an accident. He said wisdom in this chapter. Somebody like Solomon who started out the wisest person in the world and was so wise even before God gave him wisdom that he asked God for wisdom when he could have asked for anything. And yet, even he turned away from God because he started to believe his own hype and he got so egotistical and he was corrupted and he completely changed. And so probably it's going to be something like that. It's going to be someone like that. But that's not the point. Because at one point, the disciples, and after the disciples, if you go historically, they were positive. Everything fit for Nero, Emperor Nero. And everything fit for other people throughout history. Everything fits for various people. And again, that's part of the genius of revelation. But it also means that we get this wrong. And by that I mean, the focus is not on who it is. But on who Jesus is. And the focus is on, God has this. And so trust only Jesus. Don't trust only in political figures. Don't trust only in political parties or news networks or or people who say what you want to hear or whatever. Trust in Jesus. Focus in Jesus. Build your life around Jesus and you're okay. But that's so hard because there's so many golden caps all the time. And there's not going to be any shortage going forward. But again, as scary as this sounds, this is God's ultimate victory. And it's all done for us. It's all done to show us that he has a perfect plan, not just for our lives, but for everyone's life. And so now we're going to get into the mark a little bit, which we've heard about and is probably scary. Uh, In Greek, as you know, it's shiragma, right? And so it usually isn't applied to people. Uh, It says it's going to be on the right hand or the forehead. I'm so glad I picked the right hand. Uh, That is actually, that shows how kind of unoriginal evil is. Because just a few chapters earlier in chapter 7 of Revelation, God talks about putting his mark of the belief on his believers in the right and the forehead. And it shows that while evil may be able to do a lot of stuff, and while evil may be able to trick, and while evil may be able to do this or that, it can never actually create. It can never actually match God. And sometimes we put the devil on his level, he's not on his level. God is omnipotent and omniscient and all-loving and all-knowing and all-powerful and everything. And so the mark is probably where a lot of the fear of revelation comes from, of the end times. And we kind of look at it and we think about it and we look at everything in the world and it's like, man, this is almost like a no-win scenario. It's going to be tricky and I don't know what to do. What Should I apply for this credit card? Should I, I, I accept this, this check from Rob? Like, should I do this? Should I do that? Like, what am I supposed to do? And again, we look at it as if it's going to be a trick, as if it's a no-win scenario. So I have a quote from another famous leader of our time, Captain Kirk, James Tiberius Kirk. I dare you to find a church service where he's being quoted and maybe that's a good thing, but anyway. I don't believe in no-win scenarios. And I picked this quote because, so this is where I'm gonna get nerdy and you're gonna have to bear with me. Now I was raised Star Wars, I converted to Star Trek, so. I know a little bit, but not a lot. Uh, There's a test, a simulation that all captains go through. And I promise I'm going to make this not boring and nerdy. Well, Kobayashi Maru is the name of the simulation. And I'm not going to go into what it is, but essentially it's a no-win scenario. And it's a, a, a ship, a group of ships that are under attack by enemies, and if you try to save the people, then the enemies kill you. If you try to fight the enemies, then the people die, and etc., etc., etc. And it's impossible to pass. It's made to be impossible to pass. And that's what we look at the mark in Revelation like. It's like, man, this is impossible. Kirk doesn't believe in no-win scenarios, and he reprogrammed the simulation, which we can't do. But God plan everything, and he would never put us in a no-win scenario, he would never put us in a situation where we could accidentally do something, and we have to understand that God loves us so much, and absolutely there will be tests, and absolutely we're going to need discernment and wisdom throughout our lives, period, but it's never going to be this no-win scenario, it's never going to be this trick, it's never going to be this, man, what if I accidentally do this? God loves us too much for that. If we look to him and we follow him and we believe in him, then it's going to be okay. Now, in just my life, I have heard people think that the mark is checks when those first came out. That might be before my life, but still. Credit cards, Apple Pay, Google Pay, uh, cell phones, period. Uh, Vaccines, uh, whatever else you want to put in. Microchips. Microchips. And we think, well, this is it, this is it, this is it. What do I do again? You're not going to accidentally take it. That's not the focus of what is happening here. That's not the focus of this chapter. The focus, the point, what happens here is that it's the choice, the choice that we make. You see, in order to take the mark whenever that happens, you also have to say, I don't believe in Jesus. You have to denounce Jesus. You have to choose the Antichrist, the beast, whatever, over Jesus. You have to literally do that. And that's a choice. That's something we can control. And so the mark could be anything. It could be something that exists. It could be something that doesn't exist yet. But it's going to be that choice that matters. And it won't be hidden. And it won't be tricky. Because Revelation shows us God's love. He put this here so that we would know, hey, I love you so much. That nothing, nothing, nothing can take that away. And so I have scripture that's going to give you proof of that. Proof of his hope. Proof of the victory in him. Proof of the fact that his love isn't a trick. That there's not a no-win scenario. And this is going to be in Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Uh, Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your own kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. If God didn't want us, this never happens. Because you notice as lovely and beautiful and powerful as this scripture is, the criminal never actually says the words, I repent. And he doesn't go through the process that we go through. And he just says, hey, can you save me? And Jesus sees his heart. He sees his faith. He sees everything. And that's what God does. He looks at our hearts. He doesn't look at how much of a Christian we appear to be or appear not to be. He looks at who we truly are and who we truly serve and what's really in our heart. Is it really filled with God's love? Is it really filled with the focus on Him? Is our identity really surrounded by Jesus? It's the heart of the matter. Just like with the criminal. And I have one more quote. Sorry, not from a science fiction person. Grace does not depend on what we have done for God but rather what God has done for us. Ask people what they must do to get to heaven, and most reply, be good. Jesus' stories contradict that answer. All we must do is cry, help. Now, this does not mean don't try. It doesn't mean don't live like Jesus. It doesn't mean don't act like him. It doesn't mean don't do what he says. What it means is nothing we do gets us there. His grace does. And so it means accept His grace and then show His grace to everybody else. Show them the way to heaven. Show them the Jesus on the cross that forgave a criminal. That gave Him a path to paradise. That gave Him love. And we see such an example in this criminal. We don't know what he did. But he respects Jesus. And he steps in for him and he knew that he'd sinned. He knew that he wasn't perfect. He says, hey, we deserve to be here. He doesn't. And so he knows that he's not right. He knew Jesus and he called out to him. He believed in him. He believed in his promise. It's such a powerful example of how we must live. Of how we must treat others. Of who we must be. And here is the kicker. And this is the big proof. That revelation's not going to trick you, the big proof that the mark's not just going to surprise you that you can't accidentally go against him. This is the big proof. In this, while Jesus was dying on the cross, essentially when you die on the cross, you're suffocating. and you have to lift yourself up and it hurts and it rips skin and it hurts. And that's how you do to keep breathing until eventually you're too weak. He had to hurt himself literally while he's dying, in order to give assurance to this one criminal if he will do that for one criminal why in the world would he try to trick us he wouldn't that doesn't fit that's not who God is that's not who Jesus is Jesus is love and while he was dying on that cross he still took the time as he's pouring out his blood for everybody here He takes the time and takes the pain and takes the effort to give assurance to one person. That's so amazing and that is grace and that is powerful. That is who He is. So instead of focusing on how bad the world is, instead of focusing on how hard life can be, instead of focusing on fear, focus on that grace. On Jesus, on being like Him, on living like Him, on showing love like Him, on showing grace like Him, on being who He's called you to be. And Revelation tells us it works out. It works out. It may get scary for a while, it may get hard for a while, but man, it works out. Because God always wins. And He is perfect. And He is eternal. And Jesus' love is the same. And so instead of fearing what may come, live in hope and live in assurance that if your heart is filled with Jesus, you're good. And help others. Help others to feel that same assurance. Because just like I just said, nothing you do can get you there. There is an asterisk. Because what you do, how you talk, how you live, who you are can help others see that Jesus and follow him and get away from whatever they're doing and find the hope and the victory and the power of God's love. That's all I got.